Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And you may stand with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Betsy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing great on this fine Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. Many of you are impressed. I knew that today was the Super Bowl. Yes, I'm growing. I'm growing. Okay. Um, So we are continuing through Matthew's gospel where we're looking at the person of Jesus and the theme of Matthew. The one takeaway to remember about this book is that Matthew is about a better kingdom or Jesus brings you into a better kingdom. And so what we see each week is Jesus continues to challenge the story we tell ourselves about what the good life is. He's going to keep showing us how the assumptions we have, mostly given to us from our culture, um, about how do we find happiness and joy and peace. He's going to upset our expectations and show us how the promises of the world ring hollow compared to his kingdom. And today we look at the first sermon Jesus ever gave. And you'd think if you're giving your first sermon to a group of people who you don't really know that well yet, you'd start with maybe a funny story or trying to make yourself relatable. And in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to make himself likable, relatable. I mean, he just comes right out of the gate, flipping our expectations upside down about what we think blessing is, about the types of people that he loves to bring into his kingdom. And so as we look at these Beatitudes today, I think the most appropriate posture for all of us, especially me right now who's teaching this, is humility. Because if there's one thing clear about the Beatitudes, it's they have confused and just confounded people way smarter than me for millennia. They confused his closest followers who got one-on-one instruction with Jesus. And so we have to remember, I mean, the Bible in general, and Jesus in particular, are, I mean, not too different from great works of art. Like, you think about the greatest works of art, they they take a while for you to, to think about and to grasp. They often may be confusing. The great art will provoke you. And the scriptures, and Jesus does the same thing. And so, as we walk through this, there may be a big part of you that's like, wait, I'm still, this is offensive to me, or I still don't really get this. That's Okay. Okay, and that, that's a good principle to apply for, I mean, a lot of the things that we read in the Bible. And so with that being said, I'm going to do my best to share with you guys um, where I'm making an educated guess based on what I've learned and where I think we can be pretty sure about what Jesus is getting at here with these Beatitudes. Okay? Because, um, yeah, it's, a, it's just a, such a wild section of Scripture. That's what I love about Jesus. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's look at this under three headings. First, let's look at what the Beatitudes are not. Next, we'll look at what they, if, what they are. And then number three, in light of that, what do we do with this list of those who are blessed? Okay, so what the Beatitudes are not, what the Beatitudes are, 
and what do we what do we do with this list? Okay, so and what with what the Beatitudes are not, here's where I'm just going to be honest with you, and here's where I'm I'm doing my best to make an educated guess about what this list is not. And the first thing I don't think the Beatitudes are are a list of all virtues. Okay, that word all there is key because there are some things in here that are pretty clearly virtues, right? So blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful. You can pretty much say without qualification those are virtues to be obtained. But how I've often heard these taught is something like this. So number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. So those who recognize they are, they have nothing spiritually to contribute to their salvation, right? So they go to God and they say, you have to receive me by grace alone, Right, and then if you do that, then the next beatitude, you're gonna, God's gonna expose your sin, and you're gonna mourn over your sin. And that kind of teaching, it's not that that's heretical, okay, we don't contribute anything to our salvation, mourning over our sin is appropriate, it's just that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, he just says those who mourn, period. And nothing in the context would indicate mourning over your sin. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, so in Luke's rendering, you can see Jesus give the Beatitudes in Luke, and in Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor. And the word for poor that Jesus uses both in Luke and Matthew is the Greek word patokoi. It's kind of an onomatopoeia, like just the word like patokoi, kind of conveys this image of like being miserable or worthless. And so how you could translate Matthew's rendering of poor in spirit is um, because patokoi means miserable, abject poverty. Basically, Blessed are those who are, who have abjectly miserable poverty of the spirit. Or as one commentator put it, blessed are the spiritual nobodies. And so we have to ask, like, how can these be virtues? Because, like, think about it this way. Throughout the Bible, by and large, does God celebrate or weep over poverty and the effects that it has on people's humanity? Not a trick question. He weeps over it okay, because, because it's a horrible thing. It's not inherently virtuous to be poor. So these can't all be virtues, but so why do, and I, I don't know, I know we have a lot of different backgrounds in here. I don't know how many of you have heard that these are all virtues. I think one of the reasons why we tend to think these are all virtues or all, they're all positive states of being is because it's really hard to make, of the, make sense of the list otherwise, right? So how can you be poor and be blessed. Or if you're mourning, if you're feeling the shrapnel of, um, I mean, suffering that hits you, right? So you're experiencing the effects of an abuser taking away everything from you, or the ripple effects of an affair, or you're cut through with grief from a miscarriage. How can you be blessed in that moment. And indeed, this was the state of Jesus' original hearers. Okay, these aren't the privileged of society. These are people who have had, I mean, the stench of painful relationships and oppression and death have been breathed in their face for as long as they've been alive. And so how can they be blessed amid that? And we'll see that in a little bit. But the point here is, I don't think these can be all virtues. Okay, so next, what else are they not? They're also not likely to be imperative. So sometimes we read this, okay, if these are all virtues, then I need to go obtain these things in in exchange for some blessing. But that doesn't make sense either. So yeah, let me go out and find a way to be really sad to get some of that blessing. Okay, or let me go be a truth teller in the name of Jesus and then get persecuted for righteousness. And as the person is angry at me for being a jerk and be like, ah, just give me some more of that blessing. It just 
Does this make any sense? So these aren't imperatives, at least I don't think they're all imperatives. And then number three is, I don't think they're all timeless principles. So here's a good example of this. Uh, Blessed are the meek, verse five, for they shall inherit the earth. So sometimes you'll hear it taught this way. Um, some folks will say that you can translate meek as strength under control. I, I taught the Beatitude six years ago, and this was my understanding of it at the time. And in fact, uh, Jordan Peterson was on an interview with Joe Rogan, and he talked about this verse. And this, this is a good example of how he described it. He says, when Jesus used the word meek, it, it's similar to the idea of you have a sword, but you choose to keep it sheathed, right? So this idea of you're a strong person, but you tame it. You don't flaunt it in people's faces. And so as a principle, like those kinds of people who keep their sword sheathed, but they have it if they need to use it, they're the kinds of people who are successful, aka inherit the earth. But I mean, just apply some basic questions. Like, is this a timeless principle? Those who, those who have the most social media followers, as a rule, do they tend to be those who live a, you know, just with a quiet, unassuming love toward the people around them? Or are they, the, by and large, the people who parade their bodies or are quick-witted or are successful according to very Western definitions of success? So historically speaking, in our own nation, those who have inherited the earth of America, okay, those who have the most political power, uh, those who are the CEOs of the most lucrative cor- corporations. As a rule, are they meek? Or are they often intelligent, maybe narcissistic promoters of self who care nothing for humility and honesty? Hey, blessed are the merciful. Do the merciful always receive mercy? No. They don't. So th- these can't be timeless principles. So if they're not all, all virtues, if they're not all imperatives, if they're not all timeless principles, then what in the world, Jesus? Like, what, what is this list of Beatitudes? And here's where we're getting into territory where I can be even more confident about what this list is. Okay, and so first, what are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are the gospel. And that may sound confusing, those of you who have an understanding of the gospel is salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And we talked about this last week. That is true. Okay, but as we're seeing in Matthew, the gospel includes that. God loves you and brings you into his family only by grace. But it's so much more than that. When Jesus comes on the scene in the chapter prior to this, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, verse 23, the idea is, the gospel is Jesus brings you in by grace, but that's situated, in with, that's situated within the far broader story of God and Israel and Jesus moving history toward a new earth where he makes all sad things come untrue again. And so in that sense, it's the gospel because in Jesus' context, the word gospel or good news was the announcement of a new king or kingdom, okay, which was good news for those under that king's rule. So Jesus is saying, this is the good news of the kingdom that I'm ushering in. And so this is the gospel in the sense of Jesus is saying at the start of his sermon on how to live life in his kingdom, is he's saying, I'm ushering in the kingdom. And the good news is this kingdom okay, isn't necessarily for the beautiful and the influential, okay, but it's for the least likely people imaginable. Okay, do you feel sad? Are you poor? Do you feel like people run over you? Congratulations, I have good news for you because my kingdom is for you. 
You see, so in that sense, this is the gospel. Secondly, what are the Beatitudes? They are a subversion of the kinds of people we expect to be blessed. Okay, or it's a subversion of the types of people we expect to be blessed. And to give an example of this, so there was a, uh, there was a work of literature in Jesus' time. It was about 100 years before Jesus, and his contemporaries would have been aware of this, um, especially his Jewish contemporaries, because uh, it was in the religious literature of the time. And here's a sample of a version of the Beatitudes that this individual gives. And you can see how absurd Jesus' Beatitudes sound in comparison. And you can uh, bring up these quotes as I go through it. So here's like a modern beatitude for those in Jesus' day that people would have been familiar with. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. So you're blessed if you have a wife, and you're fertile, and you have the privilege of seeing your rivals put in their place. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife and one who does not plow with ox and ass together. So your wife isn't only fertile, but she's sensible, of course, according to your definitions of sensibility. And I don't know what the ox and ass thing is, but that must have been horrible. (laughs) Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue, and one who is not served an inferior. So you never err with your words, and you never have to listen to someone who you think is less than you. Happy is the one who finds a friend, and one who speaks to attentive listeners. I love this. The one who speaks to attentive listeners, like, People just hang on every word I say. I just can't help myself. (laughs) All right. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to one who fears the Lord. So on top of all the above, your spiritual resume is breathtaking. Okay, now how does that compare to Jesus' list? I think if we're honest, a lot of us would like a lot of those things to be true for us. And are we that different today in terms of how we conceive of the Beatitudes? And here's how I think if somebody were writing a Beatitude for us, especially those of us who grew up in a country where its very foundation was based on the premise that we are entitled to pursue happiness according to a very narrow definition of happiness, it would probably read something like this. Blessed are you who look unique, attractive, and young. Blessed are you if in your 20s you climb your career ladder have a love partner who completes you. You can travel and stay out late and order Uber Eats when you please. Blessed are you when in your 30s you get a spouse if you want one. Have children only if you want one, only if you want them. And if you have children, they're so put together, they never make choices that upset you and other people see them, they think you are the consummate parent. Blessed are you if you're recognized as exceptional. You're cultured, you're smart, you're on the right side of political issues. You're not depressed, you're not anxious, your world never challenges you, and you manage to avoid any suffering others could inflict upon you. You are blessed. And Jesus saddles by, he saddles right by those with platforms, those who are the envy of, the, envy of their peers, right? Those who have Instagram-worthy levels of cozy comfort, And he gets down on a knee in front of the other group and he says, are you ordinary? Is your life punctured by sorrow? I have good news for you because I want you to be the first in line in my kingdom. You are blessed. 
Okay, so it's a subversion right, of how we conceive a blessing. I'm seeing some confused faces. That, that's good, and that's okay. Okay, so now we have to ask, what do we do with this? <laughs> what do we do with this? And so here are some applications of, in light of these things. What, what do we do? First, we have to see that this list, it makes no sense according to any category the world gives us. It only makes sense in light of the kingdom of God and the cross. Okay, so first, it only makes sense in light of the kingdom. And as we're going to, this is, this is one of the most important lessons we'll continue to, to recycle throughout Matthew is the kingdom has a not yet and an already component. So the kingdom has a not yet component, meaning the fulfillment, the consistent fulfillment of these, of these beatitudes will not happen yet, okay, at least today. Those who mourn won't always be comforted. Okay, those who are merciful won't always receive mercy. You will, you will experience loss, tragedy, horrible things like war, child abuse, oppression will continue to happen. And you, you have to get this. Because if you don't, if you think all of the kingdom is already here, then when suffering comes, you, you'll, be, you'll be flattened. Okay, but however, the kingdom is already here. Because of Jesus' resurrection and giving us the Spirit, we do see, we do see relationships mended. We see foster children put in homes. Okay, we see people finding all the identities and purpose in life that the world offer, offers. They do find those things to ring hollow and are finding real life in the name of Jesus. Okay, so the kingdom has a not yet but an already component. And that's one way that this list does begin to make sense. Okay, where the consistent fulfillment, fulfillment isn't there, but also there, there is blessing to be had. And second, it also only makes sense in light of the cross. Because what Jesus is telling his disciples here is, he's saying, you can have, your life can be a mess, and yet you have blessing. And especially in the West, we, we don't understand how that works, right? How can I be a mess and still be blessed? And the way that makes sense is because the king who's giving these beatitudes, he's the king who goes to a cross for his people. And it's at the cross where you see this principle in its full glory, because it's at the cross where we see that the seed of, of heaven does grow and go forward amid present pain. Because when Jesus goes to the cross and he takes all the condemnation for your sin, for the sins of the world, it's at the cross that he unleashes real life that can be had for those who know him and are loved by him. And so in light of that, and in light of the kingdom that will come in all its physical fullness, where God will wipe every tear away, you can have rich blessing amid present pain. And I, I think this is the nugget that Jesus wants us to strain to believe. Because that, that's at the heart of how his life operates. It's only the cross that makes this kingdom possible. And it's only the cross that makes it so we can have rich blessing amid present pain. And so in, in light of that, what do you do if you are not on this list? And what do you do if you are on this list? So if you're not on this list, in other words, if you have money, connections, are fairly privileged, and here's where it starts to get really challenging because this is probably most people in this room. 
And most of the categories that he's describing here don't describe you. And I would, I put myself there. I mean, just by virtue of living here, I have money, I have connections, I have privilege. And the first thing is, this is not a guilt trip. Okay, so what I love about Jesus is that his kingdom comes to the rich and poor, the privileged and the disenfranchised. And Jesus isn't like some groups who say, if you are a victim and oppressed, then you have an inherent moral high ground that other, that other people don't. That's not how Jesus operates. You never see that anywhere in his teaching. However, what Jesus is saying is, there is a particular blindness and spiritual danger that comes when you have money and your life has been generally comfortable and you have connections. And so I think for a lot of us, just one of the questions to ask is, one, given your lot in life, are you, are you stewarding the things that you have well? Because there is a responsibility we have. Okay, those of us who are more privileged, a second a question you have to ask is, do you arrange your life mainly through the means of how much money you keep and through how you go about relationships? Do you manage your life often in a way that shields yourself from vulnerability? And I'm going to just, I'm going to keep it as broad as that and just try to let the spirit work on us because we all do it. There are many ways there are money through how we go about relationships, okay, not really letting people in, not really entering into the lives of other people, using our time for ourselves, where we keep ourselves walled off from potential hurt or really having to depend on God. And Jesus' point here is when we live like that, like we miss the cross-shaped, deeper blessing that he has to give us. And along with that, I think as followers of Jesus, there should be a gratitude we should have that he's not like America that says, oh yeah, pursue happiness, but actually you can only do that if your circumstances are great and you're attractive and successful and wealthy. But Jesus' kingdom goes first to those who aren't like that. I think it's it's pretty incredible that he's the only God who offers that to people. Those are some things to consider if you are on his, are not on his list. And second, what do you do if you, what if you do if you are on this list? And I think for, even if, I think there's a number of people here who even if you would say, you may by and large the trajectory of your life is not on this list. You go through seasons at minimum where you are on this list somewhere. So if you're here and you're thinking something effective, I feel like I'm three for eight right now <laughs> in my life. You know, so what do I do with that? And what the American narrative would tell you is you've lost, right? Because the American narrative defines blessing only through if things are situationally going well for you. Okay, my image is awesome. My job is awesome. My awesome home is awesome. <laughs> okay, but Jesus comes in and disagrees. And he says, no, you can have real blessing knowing me even if your life isn't going amazing and only I offer this and here's a here's an example of what that can look like just think about the gospel accounts as we read Jesus's life and the the people who meet Jesus think about when Jesus meets the anxious and the sad so he meets Martha who's an anxious wreck and he meets and befriends Mary Magdalene who has so many emotional scars and probably physical ones too. After he left them, were they still anxious and depressed? I think so. At least that's the impression we get. But were they forever changed? 
for having met Jesus. Blessed are the sad and anxious for having met Jesus. Okay, those who were oppressed, which were a lot of Jesus' followers, okay, those who had unjust Roman taxes levied on them, they lost family members to debt slavery. When Jesus left them, okay, or, or the poor, after they met Jesus and they walked away, did they leave still being oppressed and still poor? Yeah, they certainly didn't get the money from Jesus. Because I heard it put one time, and Jesus was so poor he had to borrow a coin just to use a metaphor. But were they forever changed, and were they blessed for having met Jesus? Yes. Blessed are the oppressed and the poor for having met Jesus. And so whatever face your pain wears tonight, whatever unmet longing, whatever burning anger you have within you, okay, whatever face your pain wears, by knowing Jesus, you can have real blessing amid the pain. And there's an artist and author named Josh Porter who uh, he influenced a lot of this sermon, and he wrote a paraphrase of the Beatitudes uh, to help us better understand it. And I want to read this to you. The creative and personal power behind the construction of the world, the God of the universe wants to know you. You. Yes, you, the theologically uneducated, the spiritual zero, you who've never cracked a Bible or, or, or warmed a church pew, for you who don't know how to pray out loud or speak the secret language of the spiritual veteran, the king personally invites you into the kingdom. To those at the end of their rope, God chooses you, the husband or wife abandoned by their spouse, the lonely weeping into the empty space a loved one once stood. To each of you laid waste by life's merciless bulldozer of grief, God is calling and says, I have comfort for you. For every timid, nervous wreck of reluctance and indecision, God is inviting you to the front of the line. For most of your life, your words freeze in your throat, never saying the right thing or in the right way. Neglected, overlooked, God holds you in the highest esteem, and your smallness is big to God. You whose body doesn't cooperate like the healthy. Your aching limbs, your burning insides, your swirling thoughts, your panic-ridden mind. You who are so numb with pain, you only smile when you have to. God will come close and wrap his arms around you. You will feel God's touch with a profound intimacy unknown to the healthy and the robust. Congratulations. Oh, you foster kids and abused children, unloved and passed around beneath the fists of the evil and unkind. You have become children of the great king. God has cleared his schedule to meet with you. God willingly drops the affairs of the universe to kneel on the ground at your feet and open his arms before you. God will lift you in his embrace and celebrate you before all the world. Head over heels, he loves you. Yes, you, the lonely, the awkward, the unbearable, the ugly, the too fat, the too thin, the weirdo, the too proud, the too scared, the single mom, the divorcee, the perfectionist, the leader, the follower, the fraud, the uncertain, the unimpressive failure, the hopelessly overwhelmed, and the overwhelmingly hopeless. I have good news for you. The doors are swung wide open for you to come in. 
Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that this is how your kingdom works, and help us to continue to meditate on this, uh, to work through it uh, with you and with each other about what it actually means to live in your kingdom, Lord. Um, For those of you who find themselves on this list in a really profoundly real way this evening, God, I pray that you'll meet them and be with them and help them see how they, they can receive so much comfort from you, even amid the pain and being reminded that one day you will put everything back together in the way you've always wanted it to be. Thank you for the cross where you showed your consummate love for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.